After attending medical school and becoming a family caregiver, our next guest personally experienced the need for a more connected and efficient healthcare industry. Because of this experience and his deep desire to help transform healthcare with innovation, our next guest, Dr. Sandy Pullum, Chief Medical Officer at Blue Stream Health, has dedicated his career and journey to precisely this. While together, Dr. Pullum shares how a health data palooza hackathon many years ago was a critical turning point that has helped him become a key national figure in moving health technology forward. Additionally, Dr. Pullum and I discuss how and why he joined Bluestream Health and the mission-critical work his company has been doing over the past several years, how COVID-19 has impacted his company's trajectory, and where he sees the industry heading into the future. Join us for a candid and heartfelt message from Dr. Pullum, one of the brightest minds in health technology innovation. Let's go. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Dr. Pollum, welcome to our podcast. It's such an honor to have you here today. Thanks, Mike. Good to be here. Look forward to our conversation today. Well, Sandeep, I'm thrilled to have our conversation. Given your company's mission to power healthcare providers with a better way to serve patients, no matter their location, language, or age. But before we cause some good trouble together during this episode, Sandeep, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Lastly, please visit the bottom of the episode notes to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Clubhouse in order to further the conversations occurring on this podcast. All right, Sandy, it is almost time for our community to learn how Bluestream Health is helping 500 plus healthcare providers to make complex workflows simple. But first, we're going to get to know you by randomly selecting a question. Let's see what comes up. We're talking what you're doing outside of work. I know you're one of the leaders in healthcare technology innovation, but I know you love to do some things outside of work. What is it? What's that number one hobby? Besides the kids, I'd say it'd be photography. I'd love to find some time, go shoot some scenes outside when we travel. I had to go to Japan and it was a great experience. So it was fun capturing all those events, both personal and just to keep my sanity getting out of the office. So photography. So I'm not a photographer, but I can only imagine it's got to be an expensive hobby. So Put that in perspective, here in Colorado, Sandeep, we're big with outdoor recreations. And one of them is obviously mountain biking, right? And so the saying in Colorado is, you're a mountain biker? Oh, your mountain bike is probably worth more than your car, right? So (laughs) mountain bike is a very expensive sport over here. I got to imagine photography has got to be the same, huh? Well, it can be, right? So I was lucky back in my undergrad days, I actually have a minor in fine art. So I started in film photography and my dream one day was to have my own darkroom, right? But then digital photography happened. And so luckily, I've been using my old Nikon camera, so I've been accumulating the lenses over time. So I was able to stick with those lenses and just upgrade my camera. So it can get crazy, but I've been able to keep myself from going overboard. (laughs) And Japan too. So prior to the pandemic, we had a chance to go over to Japan. Unbelievable. Oh, no way. We missed the blooming season of all the trees. Like by, I think, six or seven days, we had just missed it, unfortunately. 
Yeah, it was kind of a funny story. We were trying to do a trip before our daughter was getting ready to go to college this year. So we just beat, no one knew the pandemic was going to happen. But one of the reasons we got to go there was she's into animation and we were able to get tickets to the Ghibli Studio Museum. And so that was one of the reasons we decided to go when we did and I'm glad we got to make it there. Yeah, Japan's an amazing place and awesome that you have that love for photography and it hasn't left you yet and keep on going with it because you got to have those hobbies outside of work as well. So Sandeep, thank you for sharing your love for photography. And I'm looking forward to discussing your mission at work at Blue Stream Health after we get back from thanking our community champion sponsor. The need for resilient healthcare professionals who can navigate change and crises is higher than ever before. Traditional education has fallen short of providing the necessary skills for when and how they're needed. Dignity Health Global Education fills the educational gap and reimagines workforce development for clinical and non-clinical professionals across the sector. At the intersection of EdTech and custom corporate training, DHGE offers online programs that foster authentic leadership, data-driven decision-making, and entrepreneurial innovation. Developed with CEOs and CNOs, DHGE programs combine industry expertise and top-tier academic knowledge from industry leaders like Duke CE, ASU's Thunderbird, and Pepperdine Grazadio. To learn how DHGE can guarantee an improved ROI on education for your organization, head over to dhge.org or visit the episode notes and click on their link. All right, we are back with Dr. Sandy Polum, Chief Medical Officer at Blue Stream Health. Sandeep, we have a lot to cover today. You are one of the key leaders in the industry, somebody that I've been able to learn from and collaborate with for many years now. Been a big fan of your work. Now, you were also a trained physician. So what I want to go back to before we dive into all the awesome work happening at Blue Stream Health and where you guys see things heading, not only for the company, but the industry at large as well. How does a trained physician then go all in? on dedicating their career to healthcare technology innovation. Maybe give us a little bit of that backdrop and then we'll springboard into Bluestream Health. No, absolutely, Mike. And thanks for the opportunity to share this story. Yeah, people ask me this all the time. A lot of my colleagues and friends went to school with me and went to medical school. They're doing their clinical practice and are now trying to figure out because of issues related to being burned out and other items that come up during your long career they always ask me, hey, how did you end up doing this? And my answer is it was not planned. It was not something that I set out to do. It was just my personal story is that due to some family circumstances, three of my family members, my mom, my mother-in-law and brother-in-law were diagnosed, two of them with cancer. One had some autoimmune issues. And because my wife was already in residency at the time, deep into a residency, she couldn't stop and take a break. I was able to do that because it was early on. And thinking it was going to be a short-term issues, but ultimately it took about two years. And during that time, got a chance to be a caregiver and go to all the doctor's appointments and seeing the healthcare system from a different lens, right, than what you've been trained to do. And as you know, you start in undergrad, medical school, pre-med, then med school, then residency, and then fellowship. So by the time you're done, you basically get on this train and then you get off and you start working. You've got a mountain of debt that you've got to start working through. But along the way, right, doctors, nurses, other clinicians are seeing challenges that they're dealing with. They just don't have time to act on resolving these issues because they're busy taking care of patients in their day-to-day operations. So when this medical issue happened, it allowed me to kind of find an outlet, right? So just to have a break from all the craziness with the medical issues, 
I convinced my wife when our oldest daughter was born around this time, 2003 it was back then, that we were never going to go see a movie with a newborn baby. So I converted our basement into a home theater, right? Just a typical normal guy hobby stuff and built a home theater and friends and family would come over and were, oh, this is great. Who did this for you? And I said, well, I built it myself. And before I knew it, I was helping others kind of put these systems together and it was fun. And one thing led to another and I started a small little company doing this on the side and ultimately paired up with the builder in the area and started to design and help them implement these because we live in Maryland and there was a lot of unfinished townhome basements here and they were doing quite a high volume of these remodels and before I knew it I was just acting as a advisor consultant and someone that could get some of these devices and so my partner was able to put these in I was designing and helping implement how these home theaters could be constructed. And before I knew it, I started to make more money than going back to residency and working crazy hours for very little time. And because our family dynamic had changed. And before this, right, I had no idea what it was to be entrepreneurial, start a company. It wasn't even anything I was remotely as a possibility that I even knew that I could do. But yeah, it just kind of let one thing led to another. We then expanded into more commercial opportunities, partnered with a company, and we actually deployed digital screens on top of gas pumps and started to build an IP-based ad network selling ads on top of gas pumps. I don't know if you, I'm sure you've seen this in back in the day, but now they're embedded right in the gas pumps. But yeah, so we were one of the early companies to find a way to generate revenue by having a captured audience standing at the gas pump. And that's how I started to learn about all of the different kind of revenue models and how it is to market and running sales forces. So it was kind of like learning through these small endeavors and ultimately grew this to a pretty decent size scale. And then the economy crashed. And because of my medical degree, someone referred me to a company called MD Links. And MD Links, for those that you don't know, is one of the largest physician-only portals that allows doctors to stay current with their medical literature information that most doctors don't have time to read the journals. There's so much information out there that is being published. So this allows them to keep updated with those new findings. And so because this is a funny story, I forgot about this. When I was actually in med school, a friend of mine during studying for the boards actually made a CD of the board review material and was using it to study from and listen to his own recordings as he was reviewing for the board prep material. And so our friends would ask him for a copy. He would do make a little back in the day when MP3s were a thing burn a CD. And before long, he was just being cautious and thought he should send this to the publisher to make sure he's not going to get sued for copyright. And it turns out two weeks later, he gets an offer to have him come out to Santa Monica and help that publishing team that started the first aid for the boards who had now started an e-learning platform to come and help them with that content. So while he was out in Santa Monica, he invited me out and we spent six weeks building and working on content. So that was actually my first indication of what you could do with your medical training besides a formal clinical practice. But fast forward, I think it was like 2007 or eight now. And because of that six week experience, Steve Smith hired me at MD Links as the, one of the first chief medical editors at MD Links. So that's kind of how I got back into the healthcare side of things. And MD Links was great experience to continue to learn about the way physicians are marketed to, how that information is relevant for pharma companies and the value that we're providing as a free service to doctors. And it was a great experience, right? I got to learn and work with some amazing folks on 
how to produce content, how to make it relevant, what are the metrics. So I was able to manage a team of, I think, 12 or 11, 11 or 12 doctors at the time. And I started to see some amazing studies that were showing how mobile tools and technologies like phones and texting were being able to provide a way for helping patients to manage their health, right? So there were some early studies on texting, SMS-based smoking cessation programs. It was around the same time that Text for Baby was launched by a company called Oxiva. So all this kind of stuff was percolating around. And believe it or not, this was also the, or I think it was around 2009, where we started to kind of build out the infrastructure on deploying these learning tools at MD Links. And as more and more of this research started to come out, in 2012, when Datapalooza, I think, was launched around that time, this is when Todd Park was at HHS and Aman Bandari. I don't know if you talked to Aman recently, but he used to be part of that team. And they were holding a hackathon associated with Datapalooza in D.C. So I just wanted to see if there was some of these research items could be used to actually do something to change people's health or help them manage their health, right? So this opportunity presented itself, and I had some ideas that I thought would be interesting, but I had no way because I didn't know how to code or not, didn't know how to start building these any uh, these tools. So I showed up at the hackathon. So I think the objective was use open government data to help fight obesity. And so I shared my idea, uh, wrote it on the board, the way these hackathons work, you kind of ideate, and then people come up and put their name next to ideas that they want to work on. And by the time that lunch was over, we had five people that wrote their name next to my idea. And so we kind of formed a group and ended up building the solution. And the next day, we ended up pitching it at four o'clock and we came in third place and won 1500 bucks. And because we won, we got to go to the Datapalooza conference. And I happened to go to the session on the pioneering ACOs who were sharing their outcome data. And it was being moderated by Tul Gawande. So the room was packed. Wow. <laughs> I sat next to this guy who was starting an ACO in San Antonio. And true story, we were just chit-chatting before the session and he asked me what I was doing there. I took out my phone and showed him the MVP we built. And he looks at me and goes, wow, can I buy this from you? I'm like, what? So in literally two days, we took an idea, built an MVP and found a customer. True story, Mike. And I was like, I'm doing the wrong thing. This is insane. So he said, look, I told him, I'm sorry, I can't sell this to you. We built it yesterday. (laughs) But he said, no worries. He gave me his card and he said, when you guys are ready, please call me because we'd love to pilot this with you. And we have a large Hispanic population in San Antonio that uses SMS as means of engaging. And we'd like to use this for helping our diabetic patients manage their diabetes. I was like, wow, that's a great idea. So the rest of the conference, I was kind of trying to find folks that could help me. So I ran into Amon again and I said, hey, what do you do when ideas that you guys kind of post in these hackathons, and you know this, Mike, that are viable or need to be sustained, but I have no experience raising money. I don't know where to go get a CTO. How do I find co-founders? So all those typical startup stuff, right? So he put me in touch with Matt and Brad at uh, Blueprint Health in New York City. So yeah, he said, we don't have anything, but you may want to talk to these guys. So I think at the time, so this is summer of 2012. And so by the time I had contacted Matt and Brad, they invited me up, took the tramp to New York, met with them. It was great to share what we built. And the fact that we validated something in the hackathon was, you know, plus. And they loved the idea. So, oh, sorry, I forgot to tell you what we built. The idea was using open government data. How can we better engage patients between doctor visits, right? So typically you go to your doctor's office and when you're done, they say, okay, make sure you eat better and exercise and we'll see you in next year or six months or whenever it is. 
And so patients are kind of left to their own devices to figure out what that means. So based on some of that research that I was telling you that I had seen, and I had also discovered BJ Fogg's work back then and showed how to get bigger changes in behavior, you can start with these smaller, right, these mini habits, right? And so that's what we did. My idea was, okay, how can we make that into something that the patients would be willing to engage in, but is also adding value to the doctor? So my idea was, could we create daily challenges that appear, or now little nudges, that appear to come from your doctor? And because you're going to see them again, you're likely to follow through and review what happens the next time you're together. So that was the premise. And so we, the team built this little engine that looked at open government data sets from weather data, nutrition data, and would generate daily challenges. So for example, I'd say, hey, Mike, the text would come from your doctor. It would appear to come from your doctor. It'd say, I challenge you to eat something purple. So if you had eggplant at home, you'd cook it, eat it, and then say yes or no. And if you confirmed that you did, then the next challenge would be a little bit more difficult to continue to nudge you to that better state. If you didn't respond or you said no, we would de-escalate that and make it something you could do. So we would challenge you to add eggplant to your shopping. So we built this little engine that would escalate, de-escalate challenges based on the environment, what your goals were. And so that's what we built. And Matt and Brad thought that was a great idea. And the fact that we had one at the hackathon helped them validate. And we had a customer <laughs> that was ready to go if you could build it. So we had all these pluses. Unfortunately, they had just selected the nine companies in their second cohort. I think this was in the August, September timeframe. I can't remember the exact month now, but it was there. It was about a few weeks just before their second cohort was about to start in New York City. So they gave me two choices. I could either reapply for the January 2013 winter class, or if I promised not to work on my idea, for me to come up and help mentor the nine companies, because I don't think any of them had a clinical person on their team at the time. So that's how that transition happened, Mike, from doctor to startup. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, Sandy, I mean, absolutely. Going from that jump of entrepreneurial experience that you had, like, oh my gosh, I can be building these entertainment centers to then having this experience of going to a hackathon, which by the way, putting yourself in the flow of those hackathons, I've done it myself. It's amazing what you can learn. I personally, Sandy, have not been at a hackathon where on the back end, somebody offered to buy what we built. That's pretty cool in and of itself, but it is incredible what you can learn through those experiences, the people that you meet and the opportunities that to really come out of those types of environments. And you just described it, right? I mean, you worked with one of the groups that I am a big fan of in the Blueprint Health team. So you go into that, you start transitioning in. And so fast forwarding a bit here, because you've had a storied career along the way, working with Medici and others. And now here you are today. And of course, spending time as an entrepreneur and being part of the Startup Health family, which we've highlighted quite a few of the health transformers here on the podcast. I'm a big fan of Unity Stokes and Steve Krein, dear friends of mine over there. They're doing wonderful work with Startup Health. But looking now, current state, Sandeep, Blue Stream Health, a lot of exciting work coming out of the camp. You joined a little over a year ago as their chief medical officer. Before you discuss what the company is, what you're up to, how did you find them? Why did you join? And then let's talk about what's happening current state. And then we'll go and talk about what's going to be on the roadmap and what we need to be thinking about future state from your perspective, what you've been seeing happening today and on the horizon. But let's first start. How did you sync up with the Blue Stream Health team in the first place? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So going back to my time at Blueprint, so Brian Yarnell was at the time building his first company in New York as well called Starling Health. So we met when he was at Starling when we were building our company at Blueprint, which was the health recovery solution. So I was part of the funding team there. And so Brian and I kept in touch. And after we kind of, I left 
HRS after a year and a half there, coming back and then working with Bob Stern, who was somebody that I met when I was in New York, building an AI-based tool for clinical decision support at the point of care. So Brian and I kind of kept in touch as I went through these different areas of my own career. And fast forward to how I got reconnected with Brian after they had sold Starling Health, Bluestream was started to help solve a problem that Brian and his co-founder, Matthew, had realized, which was there was not an efficient way of enabling and delivering video-based remote interpreting services economically in a scalable platform. So Brian and the team built Bluestream in, as a way of solving that problem for delivering rapid access to video remote interpreters as needed by doctors and patients so they can get the care they needed. And so as that platform started to get rolled out, in 2015, you know, Brian contacted me and they were getting traction on the interpreting side. And so as they started deploying into more hospitals, because of these hospital systems could actually add their own interpreting resources as well as have rollover to contracted partners to support when they were full capacity, they were starting to think about how could we add clinical resources instead of just interpreting resources and see how that could help them with delivering more efficient access to their own clinical services, right? So this was starting to happen early on in 2015. And so Brian just kind of contacted me and said, hey, as a, take a look at what we're doing. Do you think this makes sense clinically? And how could we use this to expand our use cases? So when I saw what they were building, it really blew me away, right? So what they had built was a patented provisioning routing engine that can take requests across wherever the care was needed and can make sure that those requests were handled and routed to the right endpoint. In this case, it was different languages, over 200 different languages that could be provisioned and routed for in about 30 seconds or less. So if you replace that with clinical endpoints and you can start to see, this was what, five years ago, how care could be optimized for leveraging your organization's internal resources, which are your nurses, your doctors, and make sure that those resources could be delivered when and wherever the patients were. So to test that, I was able to contact some of my friends at MedStar, their innovation team, work with Pete Solano there to kind of show them what could be done. This was before reimbursements were around a lot of the mechanisms and understanding of what could be done virtually were still kind of, you know, early stage, but they found some interesting use cases and we were managed. Yeah, we were able to get that going. And so that's how I initially was starting to work with Bluestream. And then fast forward to last year, as the company continued to grow and then the opportunity to jump back in and work with a more mature platform where it now became more obvious that the infrastructure was there but it was really now optimizing around workflows and care delivery models that could leverage what large systems needed to do. That was a way of more economically using what they had internally, as well as tying in resources now as more care was shifting outside the hospital. So it was really exciting to be able to be part of that opportunity. And when I joined, it was the first week of March and then COVID happened two weeks later. Wow. Well, and you know, Sandeep, a lot of the time that when you see some startups, actually a lot of startups that are successful, the startup team members will tell you a lot of it's based on timing too. And is that the case here, not only with COVID, but you were mentioning some of the shifts in the marketplace and, and where you guys were positioned as an organization. Was it a timing issue as well that Bluestream Health kind of hit their mark at the same time that the market need was there? Yeah, the timing definitely, but the work that we were doing to lay that groundwork, it always seems right. Everybody seems to think, oh, we're like an overnight success, but a lot of the 
growing pains and the technology infrastructure that we were building on was developed over the last four or five years. So it allowed us when the opportunity came up, for example, we were able to take MedStar from seven video visits a day on an old technology platform to over 5,000 with wow. 15,000 doctors onboarded in two weeks, right? So there was no way we could have done that if we hadn't been prepared with the work we were doing in the previous years to get that, build a scalable, robust platform that didn't have any issues and could scale as demand grew. So yeah, 15,000 doctors in two weeks and took them to 5,000 visits a day. Well, there's a pro tip right inside of all of that. And we've experienced ourselves here at Olive, right? You just mentioned that people think, oh my gosh, you guys are an overnight success. <laughs> we kind of get the same thing here at Olive. You know, Sean Lane, our CEO, there was actually a podcast almost a year ago. He even says it in the podcast. It was take number 28 that turned Olive into the unicorn that she is today, right? Iterating, iterating, iterating. Start something up, pivot, fail, kill it if it needs to, right? And keep continuing to push prod and see where the opportunity is because it does take quite some time to figure it out, especially in these complex environment. That is healthcare. So I couldn't agree more to our entrepreneurs out there. You just got to keep iterating and finding what the need is in the marketplace, not just this whole proverbial and Sandy, this doesn't work. Build it and they will come. That is not the case. And that's the thing, right? It's kind of funny, Mike, looking back at the previous companies I was part of, I think if you can build for a two to three year time horizon where you're planning for where things are heading, right? That's the key, right? Because things today may not align in terms of reimbursement, but you know, because of your opportunity experience that, okay, this has got to change and this is the direction it's heading in. If you can plan for where it's going directionally, you may not get it perfect, but at least you'll be waiting for the market when it's ready. Well, let's go back to when COVID broke out, right? You kind of just mentioned it in some of the explosive growth that, well, it was a need, right? Again, going back to comment, the need in the marketplace. What was that like for you and the Bluestream Health to go through this now pandemic that we know of, but even back then in March, it's still, there was so much uncertainty for so many of us in healthcare. And before you answered, I, I do love to say this time and again on the podcast, this pandemic has been just absolutely devastating. There's no doubt about it. It's one of the most devastating things I think any of us will live through our entire lives. But I also like to look at it from the other side, the phoenixes that will be rising from these ashes. How are we going to make the healthcare industry better? What are we going to learn from it? Look at telehealth. Look at the big moves that we've made there. Look at the development of the vaccine. Unbelievable. Bringing mRNA technology to the forefront. But from your guys' perspective as a company, as an organization, you were just brought on. What was it like for you and the team in March of 2020? Yeah, it was, like I said, the first big challenge was how could we help these new partners that we're using? And that goes back to the uniqueness of what Bluestream is, right? Like I said, it's a platform as a service. So we actually give you the tools to deploy and build digital services that can deliver care across your care continuum. So what that means is each facility organization has their own unique needs. So today what happens is you have to go out and find various different vendors or solutions to fill those gaps. And then before you knew it, you've got 10, 15 handful of these different systems that are solving point problems, but are not put together in a coherent way that can actually tie into a virtual care strategy. Right. That's how it was prior to COVID. And so what happened over the last eight, 10 months is that people had a crash course on having to rethink how to deliver care in an entirely new modality that was sort of nice to have before, but became a must have. Right. That was the one big thing. And for companies like ours that were built to 
allow for organizations to meet their immediate challenges, but also give them the flexibility to adapt and change as their needs evolve in the future. So that's what made us unique. So for example, for large organizations, we were able to quickly leverage our API stack and allow them to deploy their own custom virtual care solution that fit their needs, but also allowed us to build a rapid response kind of tool for smaller practices, for doctors that were struggling to keep their doors open because patients couldn't come in. We built a free version of that enterprise tool that we just opened up to everybody. And I think in a span of two, three weeks, we had 95,000 providers just sign up so they could use the HIPAA compliant solution rather than using something that was not kind of like a FaceTime or other non-HIPAA compliant video connection. So it was great to see that we were actually helping to provide a service that was allowing patients to get care. More importantly, having a resource that was compliant for these smaller doctors to use. So it was rapid time of trying to scale in terms of where the demand was. So just to give an example, before COVID, we were doing about 40,000 video minutes per month of calls. And then now we're over 4 million per month of video calls on our platform. Unbelievable. Wow. Talk about explosive growth. Now, Sandeep, through that experience, we can always think that our technology is the best thing since sliced bread. We think it's the best platform. Whatever we built, we think it's obviously the best. But what has the response been from your customers? What has the response been to that next and more important layer to the patient, to the consumer? What's the response been in the marketplace? Yeah, there's no perfect solution, right? You're always evolving and meeting the needs. But the key for us has been that we kind of were taking a provider first approach, right? We wanted to make this tool that was simple to use, simple to adopt, simple to deploy, where as soon as you give it to someone, you can have them up and running with it. So in our large customer implementations, 95% of the users, they were up and running within a few days, right? There was no complex training. There was no need for them to go through, come in and get trained on how to use it because it was embedded right into the workflow. If you can click a button, you're in the video call. And on the patient side, because it's WebRTC based, there's no app to download, nothing to install. The patients simply are able to utilize and get access to the doctor or the nurse on the other end at the time of their session. So because it was quite simple on the front end, but robust and scalable behind the scenes, so we take a lot of the complexity off the table using our API dev tools so that these organizations can integrate into their ADT feed, into our, you know, using our single sign-on process, can get into their EMR workflows. And that's what allowed for the experience. So if you can make your life a little more I don't know if joy is the right word, but give you a little bit of that feeling of, wow, I'm actually able to do something that get the technology out of the way for me, for helping me connect with my patient and make my experience a little bit better. And that's what we focused on. So, and as we continue to learn and get feedback, we are always working to make that better. But yeah, just in terms of the feedback we've been getting, we're saying, you know, some of our clients now have done over 600,000 consults on our platform. And on the patient side, they've got, I think they've collected about almost 160,000 feedback response to surveys and over 95% of patients gave them a five-star above rating and over 99% of providers gave them a five-star above rating in terms of usability and ease of use. That's so cool. Well, thank you for sharing that because it's important, right? We can, again, we can think all day long that our technology is awesome, but at the end of the day, it's the end user that matters most. So thank you for sharing that. And earlier you did mention, Sandy, if you can position yourself as a startup entrepreneur, with your technology, with your innovation, that two to three year horizon, if you can figure that out, that's where the sweet spot is. 
let's go there. What are you seeing on the horizon? We have some of the most brilliant, passionate leaders in the industry tuning in this podcast. What are you seeing? What do we need to be mindful of? What's the next two to three years look like? I know a lot has changed just in the past 12 months because of the pandemic, of course. But what do you guys focus on at Bluestream Health right now? What are you seeing in the next kind of two to three years and what should we be mindful of? Yeah, thanks, Mike. I think it's going to be a couple of things, right? As more and more care is being shifted out of the four walls of the hospital, more to where the patients are, right? So services like home health, home-based care, more monitoring, connected devices, gathering data, and making the data actionable, and then allowing those feedback loops to connect the teams that are providing the care back to those patients. So one of those examples is the ET3 initiative, right? So one of the things that COVID showed was how emergent services, and there are so many levels of care that are not optimized today, like not using pharmacists to the full extent, not using paramedics and community health workers to their full extent, not using caregivers by giving them the support and oversight. So that's where I think a lot of this is heading is what we see on our platform is not only the doctor to patient connectivity that we see, but also the peer-to-peer collaboration that we enable. And that's growing, right? So imagine a home health nurse or a nurse in a community being able to contact and have supervised services with an expert or a a specialty doctor on the other end. And we're now seeing those uh, happening in real time. Well, it's very exciting. Well, thank you for sharing that, Sandeep. And of course, we also want to know how we can be helping you Where can we as a community be pushing forward the work that you're up to at at Blue Stream Health? So what's one problem, need, or question that you and the team have that we can be thinking about or helping you with? Yeah, that's great. What we're looking for or would love to partner with are organizations and facilities that have internal resources that are looking to build their own kind of solutions and tools. So what I mean by that is you hear a lot of times of hospitals and dev teams build their own apps and solutions but are not able to kind of interoperate or connect with external resources outside of that. So what we'd love to find are health systems that have dev resources that could utilize their APIs and get solutions built in months rather than years that are already HIPAA compliant, that already integrate with DMR, so we can accelerate the workflows and products that these health systems are looking to deploy to patients outside the hospital. Excellent call to action. Of course, then how do we get a hold of you to be able to do exactly that? Where are some contact points online? social media handles, websites, or otherwise, where can we find you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn at Sandeep Pullum, Twitter at uh, S Pullum. And you'll find me on Clubhouse occasionally, Mike, hopefully in the same rooms as you are. I was going to say, don't be shy and plug in Clubhouse. You're one of the most prolific leaders on there. And I've had a fortunate and wonderful opportunity spending time with you on that platform as well. I know you're over there quite often and doing some wonderful work and engaging with the community. So thank you for sharing that. Of course, to our community, all of those contact points will be found in the episode notes. Just simply scroll down in your podcast player and click on through, or you can head over to our free global online community, passionatepioneers.com. There will be a post for Sandeep's episode to have all those contact points and an area where you can leave comments, questions, feedback, ideas, or otherwise for Sandeep and the team. Again, passionatepioneers.com. Well, Sandeep, again, I've been friends with you for quite some time. I love spending time with you. We could be here for hours talking about this stuff but I also want to get you back to continue to build the company and all the wonderful work having at Bluestream Health. But I have one more piece and we'll get you out of here. It's a fill in the blank. I'm a passionate pioneer because... I want to help people build solutions that are solving healthcare problems. I love it. I'm right there with you. You got me fired up. I'm ready to run through walls for you, my friend. (laughs) And uh, always a blast. Always a pleasure spending time with you. Sandeep, thank you for taking a pit stop to be with our community today and sharing all the wonderful work happening in your camp. 
We look forward to continuing to following you and the journey at Blue Stream Health. But for now, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Appreciate it, Mike. Thank you again. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.